Thanks for watching our podcast. Here at Spear Consulting, our services include business strategy and human resources consulting. In HR, we offer executive search, executive coaching, and work psychology consulting. Please visit us at spiritmco.com, where we fulfill our clients' dreams virtuously. Enjoy your show. Welcome back to the Leading Virtuously podcast. Today on the show, we have a brother from down in Texas. So excited to connect with you today, Neil. Answer our first question, which gets us kicked off. Who are you? Yeah, first off, Chris, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on here and plug into your audience. I'm really looking forward to chatting it. And I think we have actually some 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 common common roads, right? With uh, Tenet and some work you did in Arizona. So it's funny how the longer you do this, the more you find out that it's interconnected. You know, you, you know somebody of somebody. So yeah, very excited. So a little bit about me. Um, I'm a guy who spent uh, the last decade in healthcare administration, um, started in the academic uh, medical space, and then uh, decided to go try the for-profit health system space for a few years. So I did the Fortune 200 um, rounds, and then finally decided uh, wanted to go back to the nonprofit. So currently, I'm back in Texas, and I'm with the largest nonprofit health system for the state of Texas, Baylor Scott and White. So I work on multiple service lines, uh, mostly in hospital medicine. So it's it's a lot of fun. So yeah, Chris, that's that's a little bit about me on the business side, uh, personal side. Um, you know, I'm I'm a guy who's a son of immigrants to this country, and uh, you know, my folks came from India. It's one of those kind of uh, success stories. They came with nothing and amassed a lot. And so it, it, it's kind of funny with my career. You know, growing up, I had only one of two uh, health uh, or career choices, either become a doctor or an engineer. <laughs> Clearly, I'm, I'm neither. So, um, mom, if you're watching, I'm sorry about that again. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, so it, it was just a lot of fun kind of going in that environment. And then, uh, you know, I was this 20 year old and my, my goal growing up when, you know, I was kind of in my uh, young, young kind of figure out what I want to do with my career was I wanted to make $60,000 a year. That was my goal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had no clue how I was going to do that. And uh, I think, you know, what I'd like to share a little bit today with your audience is it's all about zigs and zags. You know, your career path isn't necessarily from A to B. There's a lot of different jumps and hurdles that you have to go to. So your parents, so tell us a little bit. So were you born here in the United States and, and uh, what were their careers like as well, Neil? Yeah. So yeah, I was born in the Chicago area. So I grew up in Chicago and mostly Detroit. Um, so dad actually uh, in, in Detroit, he worked for Ford. He he's, uh, has an automotive engineering background. And uh, mom was on the auto insurance side. She worked for a call center. So came from fairly, you know, meager background. Um, I'll just say that also being growing up in Detroit and uh, I was a young adult during the Great Recession. Um, you know, when you saw kind of the collapse of the automakers, you know, you knew everybody you knew uh, was impacted by it. So I think that was also very transformative for me as being a young adult um, and, and just experiencing the Great Recession directly on, you know, in, in Detroit. Hmm. 
Well, uh, thank you. So how so that kind of confuses me as to how you made the uh, journey into the healthcare industry, Neil. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what's even more confusing is my background. I'm, I'm actually a trained scientist. So this is healthcare, healthcare is my second career. Um, so yeah, so I, I did the sciences track for a few years, kind of, again, either become a doctor or an engineer. I, I trained and I went to school and, and, and did the sciences and uh, worked as a scientist for a few years at the works um, with the likes of uh, Pfizer, the NIH. And uh, Chris, the problem is doing, for me, this is for me, uh, doing research and scientific work was just, it, it was incredibly boring. Um, you know, you're, you're, it, it was so methodical. Like if your day was off kilter, it was because a certain assay or blot leaked or something. There was like, it was, it, you know, everything was so planned and so, you know, methodical. It just didn't rustle my, my spark of like, you know, a little bit of chaos uh, in, in, in my, uh, professional, you know, day-to-day -day life. So, um, it, it was kind of during this time of I'm transitioning. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my career. Um, and interestingly enough, I kind of hit that 60,000 mark as a scientist. And, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out like, what do I want to do with my life? And, uh, interestingly enough, when I was an undergrad at the university of Michigan, um, I had a startup company. And uh, the startup company was just one of these kind of things that it was like a pre-Uber, pre-Lyft uh, type of deal where uh, my, my roommate and I at the time, we just used our cars and gave uh, rides to the student body in Ann Arbor. And, uh, you know, the joke at the time was just, you know, let's just get some beer money and date money, but it just quickly amassed. We had like a whole fleet of drivers at the end of this. So having had that and experiencing that when I was an undergrad kind of it, it sparked a lot of interest it was like I really liked what I was doing now of course I had the whole bachelor's and master's in science so it was difficult to like you know pivot into something totally different but uh it was during that time of soul searching that uh a mentor of mine said Neil you really should try healthcare administration it's complete chaos you know your day-to-day -day is you know something new all the time um, you have the business affinity with your startup company and having gone through that. So why don't you look at healthcare administration? So that's where I really kind of, I started off as an intern, uh, working as a front desk for a, uh, pediatric practice. So zigzag, right? So, I mean, imagine a guy who is like a scientist making, he hit his goal of, you know, how much he wants to make a year. And now he's like working at a front desk at a, at a practice, uh, you know, checking in, checking out, uh, little kids their pediatric visits um but it, it was just awesome it was incredible kind of getting into the healthcare environment um there was just so much need for disruption and opportunities to change things and you know it, it really kind of sparked my i really like what i'm doing so that's how i started off in healthcare and that was about 10 years ago so that is one of the self-proclaimed titles that you have for yourself as a disruptive executive. What does that mean exactly, Neil? Yeah, so it, it's funny, Chris. I mean, you look at the way we deliver healthcare right now and we're doing the same thing over and over and over. I mean, there are a lot of emerging technologies that are really disrupting how we do things. I mean, the pandemic is proof positive of that, even for large health systems, uh, uh, as the one I, I work with and have previously worked with, you know, it's really challenged how we have to deliver 
what we do as a business. Um, and, and I think, you know, if there isn't that affinity to try different things or do something a little bit differently, um, it, it's incredibly difficult. So at Baylor Scott and White, we've done a terrific job um, for our intensivists and our ICUs. We've converted a lot of our ICUs over to a tele ICU platform. Uh, and that's for, you know, ICUs because I work directly with our ICUs, but, you know, um, overall our whole ambulatory service arm, we were roughly around six or 7% tele pre-pandemic. And then we shifted to near 30, 33 or 34% during the pandemic. And we're continuing that, that stride. So, you know, it, it's just, if, if you don't have, you know, a, a sense of trying different things, change can be very difficult. And so that's, it's been a lot of fun to like undergo those, those types of, of, of um, transformations. So as you've made those transformations in a, in a traditional non-tele world, what has been some of the pushback for those that are not willing to make those changes? Like how, and then also how have you overcome um, the people that have been resistant to change in that way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think there's multiple layers of, of, of trying to get change. Fortunately, with the pandemic, you know, it, it wasn't a case of people who didn't want to change. They had to change. I mean, there was no way around it. We couldn't deliver care without having to change. Um, so, you know, it, it started with our physicians and getting a, a, a proclivity for going tele and being comfortable with that, getting the medical uh, leadership uh bought off to say, yes, we can deliver still our level of care at the same clip by utilizing this. And, you know, I say tele, but it is a bit of a hybrid. There is also some uh, physical um, it, uh, presence to, to, to our ICUs. It's just, you know, if, if, if it goes beyond a certain level, can you turn on this tele component? Mm -hmm. um, and then also the IT components of, you know, can we utilize this with our legacy systems, with our electric, electronic medical record system? Um, I would just say that, you know, this, 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 this environment has been really wonderful because I think what it's done is it's forced a lot of health systems to change rapidly. So I think, you know, we're all kind of, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how quickly we run with other initiatives now as a result to say, you know, we, we made this change very quickly. Now, what else can we do um, in, in, in light of, of the pandemic? And I think a lot of organizations were looking at the pandemic as, as that crutch to change really rapidly. Yeah, I think that uh, it's it's disrupted a lot of different uh, industries in many different ways. If you look at the restaurant business, there's so many restaurants, even as you drive through to look at the, you know, I, my wife and I always comment about how many tents that you see up and did many different restaurants even contemplate that that was going to be a thing and and how just the, you know, just the way that organizations have to be able to shift quickly. And if not, then that might be a lot of those organizations that are no longer around. And I know at least for us in our industry for just being able to show up via video chatting in the executive search and recruiting business has been actually a very big blessing for us because previously most people would really push back heavily towards like, you know, I guess maybe the adoption rate would be like 40% but the majority of people didn't like to go on video chatting. And now it's like, okay, like we don't have a choice. You don't have a choice anymore right. because if you're not video chatting at work, I don't even know what you're doing at this point. So 
so that's been actually pretty great for being able to get candidates to to be able to connect with you in that way and uh, so that's that's been good for us and I know that you know so we're talking about the kind of theme of change and pre-roll Neil you had talked about having to go through a layoff previously in your career can you maybe speak so it sounds like pivoting has been one of those things that you've you've started to get pretty good at in your career yeah yeah so I went into the academic medical space and um, you know progressively worked my way up a few years into it uh, decided to go try the for-profit so I joined a fortune 200 company they relocated me I'm based out of Dallas Texas they relocated me to uh, the Bay Area in Northern California um, and they just needed a turnaround guy so uh, there I was and, uh, you know, I think we were doing a lot of really good work. Um, we had grown our, our top line, I think it was like 22, 23% uh, in, in a one-year basis. And we were doing all the strategic right things. We were partnering with the right payers. Everything was going quite well uh, to the tune that the CEO, he runs the whole state, pulls me aside and he says, Neil, you know, in the next couple of months, I want you to be my COO. I've already talked to the board, talked to my CFO. You know, we see you in a higher leadership capacity. And he's like, you know, I just, I wanted to run that by you. Is that something you and your wife would be okay? I'm like, this is exactly, you know, what I've wanted to do. Progressively growing throughout my career. I mean, now you've hit the C-suite. I've hit a pinnacle. Um, you know, coming from a guy who's said, I want to make $60,000 a year coming out of Detroit. You know, it's a dream come true. Um, so I was ecstatic about it. And uh, at that time, there were some corporate restructuring. Um, we had a new CEO come in uh, who was active on the board and um, you know, was mostly in the consulting side. And you know, he had a different view of how the uh, system was supposed to run. And uh, you know, he was in that cost savings and cost cutting mode. And so um, it became one of these conversations where you know, my CEO was telling me, Neil, I want you to be the COO. You know, a couple of weeks later, this transition happens. I get a call from him and he says, I don't know how to break this to you, but we're going to be eliminating your job and uh, we're eliminating your job in 48 hours. And mm -hmm. you're going to also have to eliminate some folks on your team. So mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, talk about like having the rug pulled out from you. Um, and, uh, you know, just it, it was shock in the beginning, like, you know, what did what did I just face like you know here I thought you know I'm you know telling my wife I'm going to be a COO and all this good stuff and we're planning and let's go buy a house blah 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 and then all of a sudden you you know you're without a, a, a job and you know Chris I was I was ashamed about it at first to be quite honest and uh and I was able to bounce back but what it also kind of taught me is you know I to that point had only invested in Neil as the healthcare administrator, I didn't have a good sense of balance for Neil the person. Um, you know, if you asked me at that time, I tell you, Neil, I've got this MS, this MBA, FACHE, all these accolades I could list off, but I didn't really have much other roundedness of Neil the person, because at that point my career was my identity. And so I think that's why it hit me really particularly hard. Um, but that was also a very transformative event for me to say, I didn't have enough balance on Neil the person and I had too much invested in just my career without, you know, having anything else. So uh, to answer your question is, yeah, that, that, that was a, a very off kilter moment for me. Um, and uh, 
you know, I, I yeah, maybe do a complete 180 in how I evaluate both my professional and personal development. And, um, you know, it kind of has a silver lining because I have, I'm in a great organization now. I was able to get back home to Dallas, Texas. We have family here. Um, but funnily enough, also some, some of the folks that I had to let go in that, in, in California have actually brought on here in Dallas, Texas. So it was just a really nice silver lining to have good people, uh, with you and being able to bring them over. Yeah. I'm curious about that, Neil, because I would imagine as we look at the majority of our workforce and a lot of the baby boom generation coming off into retirement, as you talked about having kind of an identity crisis as getting laid off and, and having to fight through that of like, okay, well, here's how I identify who I am. And then all of a sudden you're no longer in that role. And how do you like actually work through that process to be able to kind of get yourself back into a good mental space to be able to transition from there. So just kind of curious as what did that look like for you to I guess, make more investments into yourself as a person instead of just solely being so mindful about the career. And then now, what does that look like today as well? So it was a blessing in disguise, Chris, because I, at that point, I never really evaluated what, what I should be doing as a person. You know, I'm married to a wonderful wife, and, but we were both kind of very hyper-focused. We're both type A's only in that, in that career trajectory. So I didn't have a choice to really, you know, develop that. And I think you're spot on because I think your point of baby boomers, those who are going to be making a tremendous transition as they, you know, come to the sunset of their career, what are they going to do next? And it's funny, I look at the literature all the time on LinkedIn, and you'll see people say, oh yeah, have you thought about like signing up for a board or, you know, volunteering with your organization? And I, I think about that and I'm, I feel kind of bad about that because you're still kind of then you only identified yourself as you know that business administrator uh you know in that in that particular niche of that of that organization or that industry and I, I should hope that people have you know spend enough time or if they don't they need to is you know identify what are your hobbies do something totally outside of your industry um so to answer your question, things things I have been doing uh, more purposely is real estate. I love real estate. I've come to find that you know it's something I truly enjoy. Um, I'm doing a, a a development deal with some family. We're doing a uh, 60 unit condo that we're we're putting up in West Texas. Um, I, I really enjoy uh, giving back to the community. Um, there's a local organization here, uh, Genesis Women's Shelter. Um, they, they, they work with, uh, domestic abuse in the community and it's been just outstanding or astounding to see just how bad, uh, domestic abuse has gone up as a result of the pandemic. Uh, but just contributing back to the, at that organization as well, um, as they're opening up a new, um, um, satellite for, for their services and just trying to help them on the kind of professional services side on how, you know, have you thought about this and this and that. So it's just, it's just rounding out of, you know, what are your hobbies and what do you enjoy doing? Um, I think I told you offline too, something I also started was Bitcoin mining. I had no idea. I was so intrigued by the whole uh, uh, DeFi community. Um, it's decentralized finance, uh, like cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain. And I've just been like fascinated by it for a few years. So had time to just kind of look into it and understand it. And I've started and got my own rig and I started 
mining bitcoins. Hmm. Yeah. That is, uh, I love that. There's three things that are very off the cusp and, and not related at all to one another. So, so. That's a construct of it, right, Chris? I mean, I, I, would, I, would, I would urge people to do things that are, are very separate from each other, especially if they're in the, I don't know what I want to do. I have these broad hobbies. Do things that are totally, you know, separate from each other. And, you know, you may hit a home run, you may hit a single, or you may say, this is stupid. I don't ever want to do this again. <laughs> I love the way you, uh, yeah, just phrase it that way. So wanted to talk about <clears throat> specifically the nonprofit that you're getting involved with. How did, how did you come across the organization and in what level of involvement are you presently involved with it, Neil? Just because as you're talking about like, okay, so here's some of the ways that I give back to my community. I think that's interesting for, you know, just inspiring other people to maybe do the same as well. Yeah, so uh, great question, Chris. So I would say, so how I approached it was um, the our local regional chamber of commerce. Um, we've got uh, the Dallas Regional Chamber of Commerce, which is a phenomenal organization. Um, Dallas and Fort Worth, it's an actual regional chamber as opposed to just a city's chamber. Um, they've been experiencing tremendous growth. As everybody knows, Dallas, there's a lot of, um, you know, relocations for people, corporate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> and they run a, a leadership program. So I was very fortunate to apply for that leadership program last year, and I was accepted. So this is actually part of the, it's called the Leadership Dallas Program as part of the Dallas Regional Chamber. And I'm currently uh, serving as, as, as one of the um, um, uh, uh, constituents for that Leadership Dallas Program. So Genesis, the nonprofit I'd spoken about, is one of our, our, our projects this year. And so they are, like I said, they're, they're launching a new satellite. And so we're just helping in the endeavor of how to put it up. It's literally, they, they found an old AutoZone and so we're giving them, you know, ideas on how to do the physical layout. Um, you know, they want to do some um, um, mental health uh, services. So trying to see if we can team up on the uh, health system standpoint, to see if we can bring some resources to them. And then um, also they're doing a, a, a large, um, um, they just have a thrift shop that's uh, open to the public. Whoever has need doesn't cost anything. And so we're taking donations across the community to help kind of build up their, their thrift shop uh, from, from the ground up. So to answer your question, absolutely. I mean, I, I would say first thing is hit up your, your uh, chamber of commerce. There's some tremendous resources there. United Way is another wonderful resource. Um, and they're always you know, looking at different um, individuals with different backgrounds to, to, to bring in. Awesome, well, thank you for sharing and no, I love that. I, you know, looking at the way that the pandemic has negatively affected families, I think that's, you know, being able to get involved to be able to help families in that way is an outstanding endeavor and mission to be able to help in that regard. And this podcast, as you know, Neil, is all about virtue and leadership. And that uh, is, is in line with that on the basis of like giving your time freely to be able to help out, make an impact in your community. Um, definitely love that service that you're taking on as well. Um, looking at your own career, Neil, just kind of curious what virtues you're presently working on now in your own leadership journey. Yeah, it's um, a great question, Chris. Uh, I think just mindfulness is it, it goes a long way, um, especially in, in this environment. We're not 
we're not doing enough of mindfulness and pausing to just think about the emotions that we're experiencing, not just us ourselves, but our teammates. Um, now, it's a very salient point for me because I work with intensivists right now who are on the front lines of the pandemic. And you see the both the physical and the psychological, you know, toll that these these individuals have experienced. And you can tell, like it's it's been a year, and you can see kind of the physical attributes of you know what what the weight on their shoulders have been. I mean, these people are making incredibly difficult decisions day in and day out. Um, so I think that's something that I haven't done a very good job, and that I'm actively working on is just just mindfulness, and 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 not just mindfulness for myself, but spreading that to my all my teams to say. It's okay to take a pause and breathe and, and, and just be human and, and, and experience and, and understand how you're feeling and why you're feeling what you're feeling. Because um, I think that, you know, if we don't do that, it, it can manifest in a, in a very poor way, um, especially in, in, in this day and light and what we're all experiencing right now with the pandemic. Have you experienced any of those um... I guess negative outbursts from not being mindful and not taking care of yourself during the pandemic. I remember for myself, there was, I kind of just like got to this place where I was like, you know what, you know, we're working remotely and we're going to just double down in our efforts. <laughs> and, and just remember like one day, just like not really experiencing the pain of, of just like the change and just like, just crying into my hands, like in the kitchen one day, just being like, you know, like, I'm so sick of this. Like, you know, just so frustrated with, with the way that business was downsloping and all that stuff. So yeah, just kind of curious of how that has maybe played itself out for either you personally, or just some of your teammates of, you know, just being stressed out and frustrated with, with having to deal with the pandemic. Absolutely, Chris. I think, you know, what you experience is absolutely human, right? If you're not experiencing that, I, I, I would be more concerned, right? If you're not having an outburst in this environment, um, you know, either maybe you're not as impacted really well, or maybe you're, you're doing like everyday meditation, so it doesn't even phase you. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe you've got the, what is that, the Headspace app on your phone. I don't know. Um, which, big plug for that. That's a really great resource for people who haven't uh, utilize that or calm some wonderful resources out there. Um, <clears throat> but to answer your question is, uh, yeah, you know, with our teams, we, we, I, I try to create an environment of, it's okay to have an outburst, you know, it's okay to have an outburst that's contained amongst us. And, uh, I'm guilty of it too. I mean, <laughs> my team knows it. They say, Oh, Neil's cranky. <laughs> so you know I, I wear I wear that sometimes you know if I'm a little tired or you know I just want to get to the point or getting a little bit agitated on a response they, they can see that and they can sense that the beauty of that is I have a feedback loop now because I have the trust of my team that they can tell me Neil you're cranky and that that's a cue to like okay I'm not exhibiting what I need to exhibit as a leader it's time to you know it's a gut check of change the way I'm I'm I'm, I'm uh, portraying myself um, but it's, it's so important to have kind of a, a session where you can have closed conversations as needed with yourself, with your team, with your family, um, with anybody who's close. You know, I think that's so important to have those resources. It doesn't even have to be family members. I mean, they're, I love talking to perfect strangers. I mean, you know, there's, there's a reason why people talk on the airplane all the time, right? It's just sometimes people just naturally, you know, have things to talk about. So I, I think, you know, People should find all the avenues that they have to, you know, take that out when necessary in a controlled environment. 
So you're what you're suggesting is we shouldn't just blow up in the middle of patient care and no. in front of customers. Yes, yes, good point. But yeah, I love what you're stating there too of, of being able to, you know, from that place of mindfulness and being able to, you know, talk through that and allow your teams to recognize that it, you actually prefer and look for them to be able to be a feedback loop and give them the safe space to be able to give, like share that feedback with you too that you're able to like just grow and develop in that way instead of just, you know, being cranky Neil and then, and everyone's just like, man, what's his, what's his, what's his you know, deal today? And uh, no, I, I, yeah. Cause I, I feel like in the same way, I kind of have the same feedback loop with my wife. Cause we, we work together and we, you know, uh, raising two boys together and uh, in the same way, like, she has kind of like just knows when it's like, hey, maybe it's time that you take some time out to just you know, go spend some alone time and recharge those batteries. And I think sometimes as like this pseudo introvert extrovert that if I'm around people for too long, I can get the same way where I'm just feeling like I've lost that, that creative ability to be more strategic in the way that I'm communicating <laughs> instead of starting to show some of those emotions and, uh, uh, it's very helpful to to be able to have that feedback loop and pull yourself out when you know that mm, I've uh, you know hit a wall here. Absolutely. I mean, Chris, I imagine you are constantly in contact with people, and you know that that can again, especially you said about introvert extrovert, that can be very wearing on you too, right? So uh, having that feedback loop with your wife is uh, definitely incredible to have, and it's important to have that. And I guess, you know, for the listeners and anybody out there too, is if you don't have that, figure out who those people are to have some type of feedback loop. Because um, if you don't have that, you know, you're, you're exhibiting the frown face the whole time. And that's, that's never a good thing for a leader. So Neil, you also brought up the, another thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit was it sounded like from a very early stage of your career, you had a mentor. Not a lot of people have the opportunity to have that privilege of someone that is specifically like pouring into them for their own career growth. Can you speak to how that originally came about and, and um, maybe just kind of like your journey into having, uh, having a mentor and then also maybe being able to pay that forward too? Yeah, um, it, it's incredibly um, necessary to, to, to be successful. Um, I don't, I can't think of anybody who was successful not doing that, you know, something great by themselves. So um, let me kind of uh, decompartmentalize that. So in terms of finding a mentor, um, you know, it, I, I always took the, the, the spray and pray strategy, um, which is I, I contacted a lot of folks and I just saw who would respond back. And then from there, it's just, can you, you go grab a cup of coffee? And then you strike your, your, your balances. You find if there's good chemistry or not. Um, I would say that some of the best mentors I have are people that you know I can go grab a beer with and talk at a very personal level, not just at a professional level. Because, um, you know, everything, there's, there's, there's a blur of both. I mean, you have to be able to have both a professional and a personal. And having a mentor who does the same and reciprocates at the same level, I would say is, 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 is very important. So that's something I strive for. Um, so yeah, I've been very fortunate. I think I just have very, very uh, good luck, knock on wood. Um, but uh, just had some wonderful mentors. And 
I think also as I've grown up and developed, I'm very mindful of you know who I work with. I want to be extra sure that you know that's somebody that I can learn from, and I'm going to give them 110% of my efforts. Um, so I think also being conscious of you know exploring those right people. Don't just take a next opportunity because it's a great you know uh, uh, title or pay or whatever. Be sure you're mindful of, you know, is this, is this, are these, is there these teams that you can work with? Are there people who, you know, you can look to as a mentor and then also below you who you can mentor? Um, which goes to the last part of your question is, yeah, paying it forward. Um, so I've had one really wonderful mentor and he's the one who actually persuaded me to try healthcare administration. Um, an administrator, a guy named John Barry. I don't know if John watches this. John, this is a plug for you. Uh, wonderful guy out of West Texas. It's funny. He's got a, a West Texas drawl. So um, I'm not even going to try to do his accent because uh, <laughs> I would be doing it a disservice. Maybe if I can find some dip, I can maybe maybe imitate it a little bit, but we won't do that. Um, no, it, it's just uh, I've been very conscious about bringing in people and ensuring that uh, I can form a relationship with them and have them grow in the organization and grow as a person as well. Um, and it's something I've actually been very excited about as, as, I've, as I've developed my professional career, you know, it was in the beginning, it was, oh, let me go increase my PNL and let me go increase my scope and you know, how many physicians I employ and blah, 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 blah. It, it, it's changed now. That, that, that's still somewhat important, but it's not, it's not what I really enjoy. What I really enjoy is how did my direct reports grow within the organization? You know, did they say something or, you know, initiate a project that I'm like, that was brilliant. Like, you know, that to me is now the new measure of success. Um, and it's just something that's been a lot of fun to, to, to be a part of others' developments around me as they grow within the organization. Hmm. Yeah, just kind of curious why the why the shift with that, Neil? Because I think that probably is a, a trap that a lot of people fall into of being too focused on on you know kind of the prestige of leadership instead of what it needs to be about, which is the people that are under you and how you can you know bring them along with you. I was it's interesting. I was uh, watching a John Maxwell um, talk today on on leadership, and he was saying that. One of the things that he said was that if you ever hear people say it's so lonely at the top, then that means that they're a hiker and not a leader because leaders are those that bring others along with them. And uh, so, yeah, just kind of curious about that shift in your own leadership approach. Yeah. So I think it was my humbling moment um, where I lost my job because up to that point, my philosophy was deliverables and making more deliverables and making those deliverables look even better. Um, it was it was that humbling moment, man. It was that humbling moment of, okay, you thought you were all that, you know, and then some, and here you were going to be a COO, and now, you know, you got to go get unemployment. Um, that'll humble a person very quickly. And I hope that never happens to any of your audience members, because that, there's a lot of toil in that. But for me, I, this may say a little bit crazy, sound a little crazy, but I think you know, had I had the opportunity to go through that experience um, or not go through that experience, I choose going through that experience because it, it changed my perspective on how I, I view leadership, how I view, you know, myself and how I view both 
you know, professional and self-development and as it uh, contains to or pertains to team development. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it just, you know, it was very difficult for me to, you know, here I am, I'm losing my job and I've got to go eliminate, you know, X number of people and have the same conversation with them. Well, I remember one thing that struck with me is I don't want you to feel alone because I'm in the same boat with you. We're going to get out of this. And it was so cool for me to, you know, take some of those people to my current opportunity now, and now they're gainfully employed, they're flourishing. It just, that was a very transformative event for myself. Yeah. I could see, definitely see how that, I mean, just having to let people go in my own career and, and being able to say like, hey, look, we're right in the same boat. I've never had to right. do that, but I can imagine how that would make, that would soften the blow and make the conversation that much um, just easier to be able to have with those individuals too. And yeah, full circle to be able to see them grow and flourish from that is, is incredible too. So thank you for sharing and thank you for your humility to be able to share that with our listeners today as well. So Neil, uh, you know, just absolutely love the journey that you're on and uh, the growth that you've been able to exude in your career. How can people get a hold of the work that you're doing uh, at, at Baylor? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm sure my no, uh, name, uh, first name, last name uh, will be in the topic, but you can just look me up on LinkedIn. Please connect. Uh, if other people are in similar journeys or, you know, have any troubles, please reach out to me. I'm happy to connect or, you know, see if we can come up with something. Um, other side is I do have Twitter as well. Um, <clears throat> Twitter handle is N-D-P-I-T-H-A-D. Don't expect a whole lot of healthcare. Um, there's a lot of like real estate, Bitcoin and wines and cars. So <laughs> most of my hobbies. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. We'll also have both of those links in the show notes as well. And uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Looking forward to the way that this blesses our audience as well. So thank you for sharing, Neil. Outstanding, Chris. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, no worries. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. <laughs> Just joking. The Leading Virtuously podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.